0: Hey everybody! Welcome back to the Unfeigned Christianity Podcast. It is a rainy day here in sunny Southern California. One of the days I really enjoy because we have so much sun. I just enjoy rain. Period. I enjoy weather, but it is dumping out there right now, and so it's exciting. I'm kind of chipper and happy to be to be alive today and in the in the weather and the rain. This is the first episode of 2020. It We're already about a quarter of the way into the year and I'm just now starting back up on the podcast again. Took a bit of a hiatus over the holidays and the new year and I've had a few other projects that I've been busy with. But I'm looking forward to getting back into it with you all here. Today I'm going to be releasing Part one of a two-part interview that I did with my friend Zach Barkman. It's it was all one long interview. I did not intend to have two parts to it, but we got to talking about so much different so many different things that I thought, well, maybe it'd be better to separate it into two parts instead of making you listen to two hours of, of stuff. So and then if you don't enjoy it the next time when part two comes out, you can just ignore it because you know already that you won't enjoy it. So anyways, it's it's a long interview. I think you'll enjoy it. We talk about you know, tr- Bible translations. He's in translation work. We're going to talk about um, some issues of translating different words in Hebrew, Greek to English or another language. What is the inspired Word of God? Is that the King James, the English version or the original languages? We talk about stuff like that. We talk about Genesis, gender roles, how to how to interpret um, helper and helpmeet and what it might mean that women are, the word helper used for women is the same word that is used of God and how that impacts our lives. We also get into how to interpret Genesis and 1 Corinthians 11 and all that good stuff. But you're going to have to listen to both parts to get everything. So, Without too much further ado, we'll get into the interview here. Just as a heads up, I want to tell you about some things coming down the schedule for us on March 26th. It's already about two weeks away. Sorry, March 27th. March 27th and March 28th. I'm going to be speaking at the Men of Purpose Conference in Montgomery, Indiana. And so if you're able to make it, I would love to meet you there. Love to uh, yeah, see you face-to-face, hear your name um, if you're not able to make it that's great. I understand. I'm going to be there. I'm going to get in the day before and then I fly out Saturday night yet. So if you are able to make it, would love to connect over that time, March 27, March 28, the Men of Purpose Conference. Also, by way of reminder, if at the end of this you really enjoy the episode and you appreciate this episode and other episodes you've listened to, I invite you to leave a review, rate and review on iTunes. If you're listening on iTunes, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the about the podcast, and if you leave a review, then I will read it publicly, even if it's a negative review. I'll, I'm going to start reading them publicly here on the air before the episodes, um, just to acknowledge you as giving feedback. I, I appreciate the feedback. I'd love to hear how it's resonating with you guys as listeners. And if if you appreciate this podcast and want to support it, you can check patreon.com forward slash asher whitmer and you can support the show whether it's a dollar a month five dollars a month or 25 dollars a month whatever there are some different benefits that come with the different levels but that's just a way of supporting the show so that it can continue going on anyways without any more rambling i'd like to get to my interview with zach barkman All right, it's good to be here with my friend, Zach Barkman. It's been uh, a few months in coming. We've been talking about doing this interview, I think before the new year, I had first reached out to you. I I always enjoy discussing theology and scripture with Zach. Our families kind of go back. They're, they're somewhat connected, intertwined. Uh, Zach's sister is married to my wife's brother, and so we... <laughs> We get interaction uh together through that way, as well as uh Teresa and I spent three years in Thailand, and Zach's family would have been there as well. Zach was there for part of that, not the whole time I guess, but right. um, so yeah, a lot of good my my brother's a good friend of zach they have they were at i go together shout out to Chris, yeah, <laughs> he was a little jealous that he couldn't didn't make it, but i I wanted. Zach all to myself, so, <laughs> um, yeah, the, the thing that I really enjoy talking, or the reason I enjoy talking with Zach is because since 2018, spring, uh, winter of 2018, I've been in Bible college in the middle of it now, a four-year degree, just Bible, uh, biblical studies degree, I always forget the name of it, but it's very, fairly generic degree, but it's definitely more in-depth than anything I've taken before. And Zach, along a similar timeline, I think maybe you started before me. When did you start Bible College? Uh, fall,
1: uh, 16, sixteen.
0: Twenty sixteen. Okay, so you were, yeah, year and a half at least, or what is that? Two? Yeah, um, yeah. you were at God's Bible College, doing, studying for the purpose of going into translation. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So thanks for having me on, by the way. Yeah. Um, It's just great. It'd be awesome to to sit down and talk. Um, But I guess we just have to do a video call to accomplish that. (laughs) Uh, So yeah. um, I became a uh, member in training of All Nations Bible Translation before I started um, the college journey, sort of, um, hoping to do hoping to do Bible translation um, in Southeast Asia somewhere. yeah, you mentioned Thailand. That was really a, a catalyst for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, did that. And then GBS um, was in my home state and affordable and had a good – I was impressed by their uh, uh, Hebrew and Greek program. So I went there and majorly to study um, – or, yeah, mostly to study Hebrew and Greek, um, but um, was also able to go to uh, the Summer Institute of Linguistics in North Dakota. Um, and that that worked into my undergraduate studies as well. So. Okay.
0: Okay. And is your, at one point you were thinking of continuing study in Thailand at Payap University. Is that still in the plans or?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm hoping to. So the Summer Institute of Linguistics at UND, um, shut down last year. So the the following year after was there last, last summer. And so there's still SIL programs. Um, I think one in Texas, one in Canada, um, but yeah, one of them is is in Chiang Mai, okay. uh, where you and I have both lived, mm-hmm. and um, it's definitely um, maybe a little bit more affordable there. Yeah. And and um, so I'm yeah I'm hoping to hoping to do that as the next step. I either need just uh, the minimum I would need with ABT is one more summer of linguistics. Oh, okay. But um, I'm considering maybe maybe getting my master's there um, mm-hmm. eventually. So
0: yeah, and ABT is All Nations Bible
1: Trans. Laters. That's right. That's, yeah. All nations Bible translation. Um, um that would be an analogist sort of Bible translation mission. Yeah. 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 And
0: I that's I think you're um I'm trying to think when I first heard of them. Maybe when I was at Igo, but you are the first person that I know involved with them. Wait are they is that fairly new or is it um has they been going for a while? It
1: is. I'm gonna get in trouble if I say when they started. I wanna say oh, <laughs> 06 to 08 sometime. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, it's not not a very um, old mission. We have um, several teams on the field, maybe a, maybe a half dozen or so. Okay. And several dozen members in training. So it's definitely sort of on the front end yeah. uh, when it comes to that.
0: Where's most of the focus as far as on the
1: field? Um, uh, Central and South America – would be most of our trainees, some in Mexico minority groups and um, uh, the Amazon region is a major focus, although it's harder to get there hmm. and then we have one team in um, Indonesia yeah so okay. oh, wow. um, and and also uh, there's um work started in Africa and um west africa western Africa as well so.
0: okay. wow, very wow. good yeah so it's it's kind of your studies through the language side of things that in my study of scripture, I don't get into the language a whole lot. We were just talking before we started recording here, how uh, I, I, I am learning more than I ever knew before, some of the Hebrew and Greek, but it's probably enough to make me sound really stupid if I'm talking to somebody like you or somebody who knows Hebrew and Greek a little bit better and
1: uh it's two different things me and someone who knows hebrew and greek yeah that's the
0: that's the thing that i think overwhelms me the most when i first started going to college i wanted like it would be a dream of mine i think it still is a dream of mine to go to israel and study hebrew Mm -hmm. but i like the little bit i know the more overwhelmed i am at like all that goes into to getting a really good grasp you can't just memorize the words and their meanings and yeah
1: I think I had this picture that like um, especially when I was in Israel for a couple of weeks I think I had this picture that I'm going to that learning the language would be this like you know and, and I had this impression of Hebrew that it's this some sort of mystical language with like the letters mean certain pictures and whatever um, and also I just thought you know learning the the Hebrew, Whatever would just you know everything would be so clear and yeah yeah <laughs> um it, it, there's often um, more um, challenges w- when you start learning the languages but I think what's helped me with it is is being able to be in on the conversation hmm, uh, hmm. that people are having so if I didn't know Hebrew I would have no way to evaluate um, what people are saying about about this text about Genesis one or yeah. um or different texts and. And while I, I can't pull from pull out of my head um, just my my knowledge of, of the Hebrew or whatever um, I can compare and read what other people are saying and evaluate that and do word studies right so yeah yeah which you can do even if you don't <laughs> don't know the language so yeah being in on that conversation and being able to evaluate what people are saying that's been that's been one of the main benefits I'd say for me yeah yeah. And
0: just, I, I was thinking about it as you were talking. Just for the record, for our audience, I, I kind of spring. I do this a little bit with all my, my inter the people I interview. Some people prefer questions ahead of time, but I, I gave Zach the kind of the topics I wanted to touch on, and everything else I'm just like springing at him, so he doesn't have notes or anything. Um, if he you me the topics
1: like what eight hours ago. So. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That was I was feeling a little bad about it because um there's a couple things that I really would like to hear more in depth but I'm not even sure we may just I may just not not touch on them because um I was trying to think if I can remember it's something we studied uh fall of last year and so I'm not even sure if I like I it would take a little study for me to dig in again and remember what what are the questions about this topic so we'll see how how it goes um but yeah basically that that the concept of being in on the conversation because i think there's a lot of um you know so in my main class um the way my studies are laid out is that you start with surveys it's it's biblical theology which sounds really prestigious i guess but what that (laughs) means is we study all of theology in the context of the biblical narrative instead of just systematic theology where we yes. study what is salvation, study what is the church and all that. Um, so the first thing we do is read the Bible through and then we read the Bible through and then we read the Bible through again. <laughs> yes. But the, the first time through it's like a survey and then goes more in depth. And the, this last let's see, fall of 2019, yeah, this last fall, we started the first upper-level class where we're, it's a module class where we're walking through the Old Testament. And there's 10 of us in that class, I think. Maybe there's more, maybe it's more like 15. So It's a fairly small class, fairly close community, but there's also a lot of background of people, some people like me who grew up, in um not only in the church but our parents were involved in church leadership and mm-hmm. and then there's new young believers like one of the one of the girls is one of the ladies is um just been a believer two or three years maybe and mm-hmm. uh and so it's it's it um when you start looking bumping into some translation issues, it can cause a lot of question or even uh anxiety almost in like mm-hmm. how, how do i know what i'm reading is actually true or, or how do i know what to believe or yeah. um. and so i'm, I'm kind of trying to remember where i was going with this but basically well,
1: it alarming go ahead
0: yeah well just that when you like the more you know of the language, I think it It can – you always, you realize why there's debate. It's not like people are trying to uh, hoodwink you necessarily mm-hmm. into another belief or whatever. I don't know. Go ahead. Do you have thoughts on I that? Mean,
1: I mean it can be really scary when like – especially if you've always read one version or memorized mm-hmm. one version. Mm-hmm. And see different translation, um, different translations can be one thing. And you, if you think yours is the pure, you know,
0: yeah, uh, if it's King James.
1: Is the only, the only one, <laughs> yeah. what did you say?
0: I said, if, if it's always been King James, just... that's right.
1: It's always been King James. And then not only that, you start, okay, well, different translation. Then you see footnotes like, well, some, some of our original texts say this and our original texts say, and that can be, yeah, that's a whole other issue, but, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it's important, like, yeah, with translations, um, yeah, to realize that the, that w- what, what God inspired is, is obviously not, um, is the Hebrew and the Greek, um, that was originally written. And so we're, we're trying to figure out the meaning of that and it's from yeah. a totally different time, place yeah. and, and that's the, that's the challenge. Yeah. So. yeah. so why don't we
0: just dive into some of that stuff? You, you touched on the word a little bit, um i'll be honest with you some of the things some of the questions that i have i'm i'm a little nervous about talking about because there's language that i think is somewhat has some baggage with it and and sure. uh, baggage in that people have done things with it on both sides like whether it's a traditional fundamentalist kind of mm. perspective or whether it's progressivism um and so it's really hard to know like what are we meaning by that one of those words is the inspiration of scripture or something like that and and so just as as um just for our audience here that we are coming to this i'm coming at this sorry i'm I'm just hearing some echo a little bit there we might have to yeah you cut out a little bit okay is it do you hear me now you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, coming at this from a desire to to know God's word and to be faithful to it, and and submit my life to it. Um, and so it's not we're not trying. I'm not trying to figure out ways around difficult parts of passage passages. Rather, in my study, I bump into difficult parts of passages, and I'm trying to walk my way through it. If that makes sense. I don't know if you mm-hmm. can identify with that. Yeah, totally. Um, and so, I also have a very strong confidence in God that that He, not only has He communicated to us and preserved, if we want to use that word, um, through, through the different languages in a way that we can know Him um, through the Scripture, but also He keeps us, as individuals, as people, his spirit has a sense of keeping power in that we may go twenty years believing one thing and and then discover that maybe maybe it's actually a little different, mm-hmm. and it's not like our whole eternal destiny is has been risked or is on the. I don't know if that makes sense. Um,
1: yeah, the uncertainty is in. Um, all the reasons we choose to to interpret things different ways, or we want to hold on to certain things. And I I was really struggling with it one time and just like, man, I, I don't know. I, I, how does this make sense? Or, um, a certain passage I was struggling with and, and, and Mm -hmm. just really like, how do I know what, um, what it means, whatever. And, and my wife was just sitting there and I was kind of venting and, and, um, she just she just brought up the passage. The words of the Lord are pure, like mm-hmm. silver tried in a furnace, refined seven times. Mm-hmm. And that was <laughs> that was something I needed to hear, mm-hmm. um, because to have the humility to say, you know what, um, the scriptures um, are are true and they're um, they're pure, mm-hmm. but so when, when when I'm not understanding something, <laughs> um, it lies in me and I need to have the humility to say, well maybe my understanding is needs revised, but yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when when we um when we talk about something like inspiration, I'm curious how what, what your thought I don't even know like what most people think of when they think of the inspiration of scripture. That's something Especially if you grew up in more conservative circle, that's probably used a lot. I'm trying to remember myself if that if that was used in my Anabaptist background, or if that was used more in my Abeka Baptist <laughs> schooling, and where I where I learned that more. But um, th- you touched on it briefly the the inspiration that God breathed out, stirred up within the writers in order to write. Um, they wrote in their original languages. Mm-hmm. And so the fact, the rendering as we have it in English is not necessarily inspired. We're trying to get in English or in Thai or whatever language we're translating. Right.
1: And yeah. and people say, I mean, it's happened all throughout history, like with the Latin Vulgate was the Bible of the church, and that's, that is God's word, even though clearly it's a translation of, of what was originally written. Yeah. Um, then it happened with the King James, and and this is this is God's word. This is inspired and God breathed. Um, mm-hmm. To the point you mentioned translating in different languages like Thai. I mean, there's a Thai translation that's translated from the King James, not from yeah. Yeah. the original text. And and even the King James translators knew this, and and they wrote. It, it's not published in any forewords, but they wrote in the in the in the original edition. Um, yeah, and the letter to the reader, um, what they were saying was that uh, I should find the quote here. Yeah. Every I don't have I don't have it verbatim, but every translation, even an imperfect translation, they said, the translators of the King James, is the word of God. And nay, they said, nay, or contains the word of God is the word of God, even if um, there are some some flaws in the translation because. Because God has seen fit to 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 have His Word translated from the very earliest times of the Church, and so um, if the King James translators themselves said that, um, that's that's how God has always um, always done it. Yeah, He could have at Pentecost. He could have made all the people that uh, from from all these different places that were gathered in Jer- Jerusalem. Uh, you know, He does this miracle so they all understand. He could have done that. So that all of those people suddenly understood Greek or Aramaic, uh, whatever mm-hmm. speaking. But it's the reverse of that. He doesn't. He made so each of them understand in their own language. Yeah. Um, he's a translating God, and so uh, we need to we need to, um, if we have the Holy Spirit, um, be willing to to work with different translations and, and trust him, uh, yeah. trust him in that. Yeah.
0: Have you read any of um uh? My book's over on my shelf Uh, the missionary movement in Christian history what's his name I have not he talks about just a second let me go get the book yeah walls Andrew walls
1: oh okay I think I've heard the name but I haven't read the read the book his um
0: kind of a boring looking book Oh yeah, <laughs> but um, it's really interesting book. It's basically he's tracing the missionary movement in Christian history, but he starts with talking about translation and the um, the mission or the Im- impossible task of mm-hmm. translating the Bible because you're or translating anything really, but specifically talking about the Bible. Yes, because you're taking something in one language putting it into so that they grasp the same idea and concept and picture and everything into Mm -hmm. another language. But how translation. Oh, he says the incarnation of Christ was the first translation. Jesus Jesus coming to earth, the word of God coming as in flesh is the first translation. And um, yeah, some some of the stuff you were talking about as far as the, 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 Beauty of God. I was gonna say changing, but that that sounds different. Of God putting His message into the the heart language instead of yes, um, just conforming. Instead of wisping everybody away to heaven to know Him, He comes to Earth so that we can yeah. see Him and know Him. And now we these limitations,
1: like He had to sleep yeah. and eat and 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 all this stuff, <laughs> and then God. Limits himself to, to langu- a language and a, tra- and a process of translation that, that can't, um, in a sense, be perfect, but that yeah. still is the word. And yeah,
0: um,
1: I mean, Jesus himself and the disciples are quoting from a translation in the whole New Testament, right? They're quoting from the Septuagint, yeah, uh, which was just a Greek translation of of the original. <laughs> they they were fine with that, um,
0: yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And so that, that might lead us to one of the first questions. Why do New Testament authors this isn't even one I threw at you, but when when we read New Testament authors and they're quoting they, they're reminding of the prophets or whatever, and then it looks totally different if than if you go back to the Old Testament and read that passage. Right. It's right. because most of our translations have the Hebrew Old Testament, right? That's right. And but they would have been quoting from the Greek
1: Right. Okay. So we most of our um, Old Testaments, our modern English versions in the Old Testament, they base it off the um, what's called the Mas- Masoretic text. And Maser- that's just a, um, what the, a certain group of scribes were called, Hebrew scribes. And so um, and and the Dead Sea Scrolls, which go back to about three centuries before Jesus, those mostly match the Masoretic text. Um, if I understand right, and not not the Septuagint. So, mm-hmm. but you're right. When when the apostles quote from the New Testament, uh, for, sorry, from the Old Testament, uh, they, I think every time, um, from what we can tell at least, when it differs, they're quoting from the from the from the Septuagint, which again is is um, a Greek translation of the Old Testament that was done by um, by the Jewish people. Um, so. That's the reason. Yeah, I don't know if they were aware of the differences and it just didn't bother them because the meaning is is preserved, or if Mm -hmm. they felt that it was um, the more. David Bersau was on an interview with Anabaptist Perspectives, and I think he would argue that the Septuagint preserves an original, um, better, like the the Masoretic scribes changed some things. Oh. I so I, I uh, it's really interesting and I'd like to study that more he's probably done way more study than me but it seems to me that um, how careful the Masoretic scribes were in their process um, the way they the way they counted every letter and when they translated and um, it seems hard, hard to imagine that that it changed a lot. Um, mm. But David but Brousseau brings out some great examples where, like, the Septuagint seems to be a much more messianic prophecy, and mm. it seems like the Masoretic doesn't have quite the force. So, oh, but, yeah, yeah that's the reason for the differences and the argument. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, um, at any rate, yeah, they're quoting from a translation. So,
0: yeah. I think yeah. that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, are the Masoretics. The ones Masorites, Masoretics, how do you, how do you call the group of Masoretes? Masoretes. Yeah. Are they the ones that introduced vowels? Because the original Hebrew That's would not right. have had vowels, right?
1: That's right. They wanted to preserve how it was pronounced because Hebrew was, was as a spoken language was dying out. And so it was the Masoretes
0: yeah. um,
1: that added Masorites? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Masoretics <laughs> I know how yeah. to pronounce that. There it, you go. That added the the added vowel pointings below. Um,
0: yeah and is that where a word like something like jehovah would have come out of
1: (laughs) that's right (laughs) so um uh, man you're just trying to get me to (laughs) (laughs) You're, you're leading me on um go for it just yeah yeah so um i mean we have a whole sort of christian sect Based off of the name Jehovah, right? And um, I think does the King James use Jehovah a lot? I don't. I think it usually uses Lord. Yeah, Uh, I I think.
0: I think most do the capital Lord.
1: Right. Um, Yeah, small caps L O R D. But anyways, so um, when (laughs) and and you, I think is what you're referring to when the. people started coming along and study and studying Hebrew again. Um, what the Masoretic scribes did out, out of respect or devotion or whatever, the, the Jewish people wouldn't pronounce the name of God, uh, which was something like, like Yahweh. Um, uh, Yahweh is something like, like the pronunciation, but originally it was only consonants, right? So mm-hmm. Yod, Hey, bav Hey, Y H W H. And, um, so the Masoretic scribes, um, when they when the Jews would read over it, they would say Adonai, which means Lord, mm-hmm. in, in order to avoid pronouncing the name. And so, when when the Masoretic scribes were adding vowel pointings, they put the ver- the vowels for Adonai underneath the the consonants for for Yahweh. And while well, when we come along uh, hundreds hundreds of years later and and read it we um we thought it said uh something like um uh, Jehovah or the german was a j so they don't really have a y so um mm-hmm. Jehovah and uh so so the whole the whole name Jehovah and and um and it's not just Jehovah's witnesses that use that um, yeah. but it's just out of a mispronunciation that was yeah. originally out of respect to to the real to avoid pronouncing the name so yeah 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 that was fat. I, I do think that it was pro- pronounced something like Yahweh and um, Andrew case has a, a fantastic podcast on the divine name um, um, well it's a podcast on Bible translation but he has a series on the divine name it's, it's really good
0: yeah oh I should check it out um, I it's interesting we talked about this a little bit in one of our classes how so the 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 scribes and the priests and and everybody in in Jewish custom as I understand it would have not actually spoken the name of god like that they had such reverence because of not you don't want to take that name in vain part of it playing in there maybe um and so they so they did what you just explained but for for us now in english it's like we use the word god which actually isn't a name but it's a terminology to deity to powers to lord and i've come to really appreciate using the word yahweh for god <laughs> to make it a little more personal which i, I don't know like that's almost opposite that's, of what the Jew, jews would have done but right yeah
1: that's really interesting because i've been i've been at a similar place for sure um and i i <laughs> I mean, so how does how does it sound to people when you talk about um, Teresa and if you would say the wife? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there's something so much less personal about using a title, even though it's accurate, and and especially yeah. with God, of course, we we should and can use titles. Um, yeah. But why did why did God give us His name um, if He was afraid of us mispronouncing it? Um, yeah. If that's the case, what are we doing with Jesus? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. that's a mispronunciation of, of a divine name, um, technically, of, of mm-hmm. Yeshua. And so mm-hmm. I'm really at the same place. And when I, I was sharing sort of what when I was in school and we just in Hebrew class, we just um, when we were reading, we'd refer to it as Adonai, just, mm-hmm. you know, in case you're ever reading this text in front of a Jewish person or something. Yeah. But when we talk about it, we talk about Yahweh and his attributes and. And then I was just sharing with one of my, uh, with a friend just about what Yahweh's done in my life. And he just kind of looked at me funny and, and then he was like, you know, I, um, I've never, um, referred to, to God by name like that. And, um, I should really think about, think about doing that. I like, I like how that sounds. Hmm. And, and, um, so yeah, there's something personal about it that I'm finding and, Mm. and Something I've been thinking
0: about too. Yeah, and it's so, something I have wrestled with is so I've I've often referred to God as Father, or I'll begin prayers, Father God, because the Father figure is mm-hmm. so uh, h- huge in my own journey, my own story of just discovering God as Father. Mm-hmm. But Same. then you know, God is also Almighty God and Lord and and the One, All Powerful and and um. Right. And so there can be kind of this, I don't know, intellectual back and forth of like, how should I actually actually approach or reference God? And using Yahweh brings that intimacy, that personal, mm-hmm. uh, I can know him by name. And yet it, it also has a sense of, and maybe it's just because it's a, a name of another language, but there is a sense of holiness and a sense of... Mm-hmm. Um, respect or um fear May, maybe yeah maybe um fears might people might take understanding that word a little differently too but but just a a, a high reverence in regard for
1: mm-hmm. for this because, because creator who knows me becomes so personal and yeah. and if 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 god is yeah, becoming becoming personal to you, that should strike some reverence mm-hmm. there. And there there are some there are a lot of bad arguments for why we shouldn't use God's name, like um, well we might mispronounce it, and that was a Jewish argument. Well, we don't want to mispronounce it, mm-hmm. uh, which um, first of all start start saying Yeshua every time we talk about Jesus. Yeah. Secondly, God was afraid of that; he would have never given given us his name. Or um, yeah out of respect to the jewish people which that's that's probably a good one one in, in that setting but that doesn't mean we have to to avoid saying the name uh, mm. in prayer or personal setting one argument that or one point that i think that i think about is that jesus referred to his father obviously his father yeah. which was uh, which is really beautiful but also oh. uh, as curios as lord hmm. and so that was the, the again the septuagint's way um, of doing sort of the same thing that the that the Jews did, instead of saying the divine name, they would say Lord, and it's just oh, okay. yeah. Lord, Master, even Sir, sometimes translated yeah. Sir in our translations, yeah. uh, a term of respect for for another, yeah. um, a superior or an equal or something. And so, so I think Jesus, I think Jesus does that, and and the apostles write that that way probably because where you, it wasn't um, pious or whatever to say. It was disrespectful to pronounce the name, um, so something something that definitely would give me pause in front of Jewish people, and I don't know if that should give me pause of using it at all or not.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Um, wow, like that was not anything I was going to talk to you about, but we talked about <laughs> it. <so. laughs> um, yeah, maybe let's uh, let's back up. To um kind of the the big I'd, I'd like to talk about Genesis if you're good with that, are you good going sure. into Genesis <laughs> <laughs> um so I it's been interesting like before I started going to Bible college, I had quite a few people asking me like, is this my way of leaving the Anabaptists or like am I gonna <laughs> stay Anabaptist if I go and um uh, it was always kind of awkward to field those questions because, well, for one thing, how do I know? Like, what, you know, how am I supposed to know? Am I supposed to be determined right now that I'm going to stay one denomination for the rest of my life? Okay. Um, but also because my, my, the reason I wanted to go to Bible college was not because I wanted to leave anabaptism. Um, so that was a straight up answer but but then I also realized that there's a lot of you know we as Anabaptist people aren't as trained as some other denominations as far as formal biblical even historical studies and so forth, and so how might that end up affecting me so like the things that we're taught and so forth how how does that end up affecting? me or us um and so there's you know there's a lot of uncertainty that
1: it's like i don't i don't know if you faced any of stuff like that as you um, yeah a bit but what persuasion theological position was is your are you at eternity yeah
0: yeah eternity bible
1: college so is that kind of reformed or just sort of mainstream it's
0: it's really interesting i've been trying to figure it out myself (laughs) because I think maybe they're in a bit of flux um okay. change right now, maybe I don't know one of the things one of the driving points that actually attracted me to them was they're very clear that they try they they work hard to not tell their students what how to interpret the Bible as far as like what the interpretation actually should be um, right, but rather give the tools for interpreting and then okay lead discussion to. To help us sort through for ourselves right and um most of the profs most of the people most of the uh, staff like the dean and the president of the school and so forth would have been trained as i understand it at um master's seminary okay john MacArthur. yes very heavy reformed and <laughs> oh, fundamentalist yeah but they are not that anymore in fact um, okay it's, interesting, it's, yeah. It's kind of interesting hearing them talk about wow. stuff like that. Um, I mean, well, I think they, I think they would. Sorry,
1: I had the opposite. I was at a Wesleyan Holiness um, Bible College, so um, yeah, the opposite of masters and, of master mm-hmm. seminary, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so, theologically. Yeah, um, yeah. I got some of that. Some of that concern about um, changing or leaving the yeah. living animism, for sure.
0: They're actually very. Um, they're probably what a lot of people refer to as somewhat neo-Anabaptists, maybe, as far as, like, Protestants shifting over to a more Anabaptist theology. Okay. They're very open. Like, the, most of them, all of them, are pacifists. I mean, Preston no, Sprinkle taught there. He wrote the book. Right. right. Yeah, that's and right. And so, like, they would all all embrace his I see. Position oh, that's fascinating. That's on hmm. war and and so it's been really interesting how i expected to go in a little sheepish in some of my anabaptist beliefs but it's almost more like i i learned early on that when i shared some of them um some of the students are a little like what are you saying and uh <laughs> but a lot of the profs are, are fairly uh, at least sympathetic to the <laughs> to some of the, especially when it comes to role of government and stuff like that. Um, well, they would, they would definitely have, as far as the role of salvation, definitely still have a fairly strong Calvinistic, um, sure. Bent understanding. Okay. But, mm-hmm. which I'm not at this point in life, I'm not really sure what I'd call myself on that. <laughs> so, uh I just follow the Bible. I
1: just see a massive rabbit trail opened up on the on one side, and I'm going to stay out of it. <laughs>
0: same, same here. Um,
1: you were headed to Genesis, I think. Headed
0: to Genesis, that's right. Oh, what I was headed to is this whole Anabaptist thing. Um, you know, there's kind of, and I don't. Know, I wanna I wanna say this in a respectful, gentle way, but like a lot of our generation. When we change, Anabaptists like things like the the head covering go, things like um, dress go, and all these external things. And I I kind of get it, like that's become a bit cultural. And so if you're if you're shifting to a new denomination, you're gonna you're gonna embrace a new culture, right?
1: Right.
0: But like I don't I don't struggle a whole lot with understanding. That first uh, Corinthians eleven and this is this might open up a rabbit trail too, but first um, Corinthians 11 the the point of that passage might be the value of practicing traditions that remind our pla- remind us of our place in Christ um, and so so I don't like to me there's a lot of I haven't heard too many compelling arguments to not practice head covering or to um yeah but that's a whole nother rabbit trail that's, so my point is that that's not something I've really struggled with the other thing I haven't really struggled with is my position of marriage like I think mm-hmm. I think a better mm-hmm. understanding of scripture or the best understanding of scripture is that marriage is a life one flesh union between two people of different kind of yeah. different kinds of flesh and um, or different yeah Anyways, embedded within Kenegdo is is the sameness, but it's different. Um, yeah, and and so those haven't been; those are kind of the trendy. Whether it's in our subculture of Anabaptists or kind of the the trend in American Christianity as a whole, those are the big things that people change in. One of the things that I struggle with is discovering that. Um, some of our translations may have a strong stronger complementarian bias than what okay. the original languages would have been okay um and how that affects our understanding of gender roles and if <laughs> if, if, <laughs> if that makes sense and um and so that's something i'd really like to hear some of your thoughts on i have some specific passages or or examples in mind and just to okay. clarify it's not I always feel a little hesitant when i talk about gender roles because there's this you know there's teaching out there about against uh, controlling women and obviously i think it's obvious in our day and age we need less passive men more active men and so this is not this is not from a a perspective of trying to shift responsibility off of myself i take uh, I think there's other yeah. other aspects throughout this biblical narrative that point to men being the spiritual responsible the responsible ones spiritually for their families for their their people. Um, and it's definitely not my wife twisting me trying to <laughs> be able to go preach somewhere or something. <laughs> like my wife comes at it from the perspective of feeling I don't know what the cor- correct word ex- exasperated. Maybe, maybe that's a little stronger than how she would word it. But with the sense of like, there's such a push for mothers to have the side hustle and to be involved in doing something. And and is there value? And do we see beauty in a mom being a keeper at home Mm -hmm. um, and raising kids? Obviously, she's not doing it herself i i'm neglecting my role as father if she's just a domestic servant taking care of my kids but but i'm not so the questions that i have are not from me trying to get out of responsibility and it's not because my wife is trying to to be out of the house more but when i when i bump into so as i understand take genesis and maybe we should back up we can back up a little bit with Genesis, but actually maybe I'll start here with the bird's eye view. Is it true the that the, the original languages do not use gender specific pronouns?
1: Original languages do not use gender specific pronouns. Um, so Hebrew, um, Hebrew has gender specific pronouns and the, and the verbs would, would change depending on the gender of who's, um, okay. you know, of who's speaking or who's doing the action. So, um, yeah, in, in in Hebrew, the the pronouns are gender specific. In in, or, or what what pronouns are you referring to? Well, he she.
0: Yeah. So maybe I'm. Maybe it's more sp- uh, specific passages mm-hmm. that the pronouns that are rendered gender specific in English. In the Hebrew, it's a gender-neutral pronoun or something. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I was just I I kind of came away with the perspective that there aren't gender-specific pronouns.
1: That was my most confusing day in Hebrew class because the Hebrew word "who" means he, and the oh, Hebrew really? word
0: "he"
1: the Hebrew word "he" means she. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> so, and the Hebrew word "me" means who. So I was yeah, I was very confused. Uh, oh my. <laughs> goodness. Um, but yeah, there would be gender specific pronouns. I'm trying to think what, like, do you have a passage in mind? Yeah,
0: yeah, I um, I'm trying to think, okay so yeah, that, that, that's interesting that's interesting to hear now, let me back up again and just um, should have maybe introduced this a little bit, but or I don't know, we could just get into it all in one foul swoop but um, when we come to Genesis Um. yeah I'll just show the example in Genesis and then we can talk about Genesis and how to interpret Genesis as we go but so in um, in my ESV Bible we go to I'm trying to uh, where's where's Eve (laughs) Genesis
1: two. Genesis two verse. I think. Are you talking about verse? Um, are you thinking one twenty seven? One um, twenty
0: seven. God created. God
1: created humankind his in His own image and the image of God. Yeah. He created them. Yes. Yes.
0: Okay. And. And just the the so some of our translations have even when um even in or maybe it maybe it has more to do with Adam um Adam is often capitalized as a name as if it's a name, yes, where yeah in Hebrew Adam Adam is just man, mankind, right right, and then even Eve, it's not until after the fall, I think that she is named mother of all living Eve mm-hmm. Eve simply means living right
1: yeah that's right yeah it, and and it sounds nothing like the English
0: <laughs> yeah yeah go ahead talk it about probably, it.
1: it it was probably something like hawa oh okay was Eve's name so
0: interesting <laughs> so how do we get Eve
1: um I think well it's not through through the Greek because the Septuagint translates it as zoe as life um okay so yeah. anyway um Eve Eve Okay, well, I'm, I'm not sure how that comes in the English as Eve. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. So, so I guess my question is: It's it's painted in most of our English translations. You get a very distinct picture of a man, one man and one woman being created, and that their names are Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the original language, it would look more like mankind is made, and then there's this other. living is made does that make sense Mm -hmm. and so how do right so yeah
1: wow yeah that that was something when i when i started studying he was like wow like what if we translated um obviously the narrative is talking about a person but but if we actually translated it as man and um living or mankind um, or, mankind, mankind, and right because yeah, it's yeah. because Adam refers to, to to humankind, not just men. Um, what if we translated as humankind or 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 the human and and living like that would hit strike us um, that is trying to communicate um, something something different maybe than or something more maybe than just
0: yeah property.
1: yeah so th- and in tw- in twenty seven like that's the beauty. Um, that, I think that's one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible mm-hmm. because, um, and God um, created the man or the human, ha adam, uh, in his image, in the image of God, He created him. So now you're thinking, if you're if you're just going to read it as as you know gendered or whatever, um, it's talking about this man named Adam and then it says uh, male and female he created them so so the 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 adam he's talking about is both adam and eve yeah. um, and uh, i think that's so beautiful because it's it's making the point that that god yeah that god created both of them in his image something mm-hmm. that no other religion um
0: mm-hmm. So then, sorry, were you done? Yes. Yeah. How does that affect then two things? The, the question is twofold. So immediately following up, um, when living is made or Eve is made, she is called the helper or the helpmeet. And there again, mm-hmm. I just said she because we, we refer to her as Eve. Um, right. And a a a rendering of it as this as a specifically female person would lead us to take a picture of women being helpers to men mm-hmm. and also kind of conjoined with that, Paul does quite a bit of writing himself, referring back to man and and referring to the image. Man being made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget what passage it is. He's talking about uh, man is the image of God, women is the glory. No, Corinthians 11. Is that 1 mm-hmm. Corinthians 11? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, if, if we're understanding him to be speaking specifically of man, as in a gender, mm-hmm. then it would... Like, as the ESV, the ESV is fairly complementarian bent. Um, <laughs> but so, like, ESV is going to come away thinking... I'm going to come away from my ESV Bible thinking that um, that I am the one kind of made in the image of man and my wife is here to help me, is alongside of me. She supports me in my work
1: and all those kind of typical <laughs> things... You might get this impression from Genesis one or from First Corinthians eleven in the ESV.
0: I would say both. Okay, Maybe, sure. Yeah. Um, but would it not change if I'm reading this as humankind? He's made this humankind. The ESV does say in one twenty seven, it does include the male and female. He created them, so that that ought to like cause us to think. Oh, okay. So clearly, right. Clearly, women are made in the image of God too. So yeah, it probably is. First Corinthians 11 that that gives that impression
1: and I don't um, think I don't think it's mutually exclusive because I mean we don't really do this in English um, but if if it is if if Adam if the name means humankind and Eve's name means living um, the the Bible likes to do this with name meanings so um, whether you have um, in the New Testament Melchizedek uh, king of righteousness um, he just he just translates his name, and and to make a point, uh, and this happens obviously. Um, uh, the heel grabber, and so um, because Adams.
0: Hey, can you go? Can you go back and say what you just did? It cut out a little bit, but it sounded like it was okay. You know.
1: I try and say it quicker.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> They're not mutually exclusive. That um, that it's trying to communicate something about. Adam is trying to communicate something about um, humankind, and, and Eve is trying to communicate. Um, there's an, her name means living, because the Hebrew Bible likes to do this with name meanings, um, especially of, well, yeah, of real of people who, who that was their actual name and they were actual historical figures, mm-hmm. um, and and so I think the the play on words with Adam, um, while it is the name of this first human. Um, it is also representing humankind, both men and women. And maybe that's what you're driving at.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and also is, so with Melchizedek or Jacob or some of those examples, The when when we get to those names in the Hebrew... So the Hebrew doesn't have, sorry, I'm rehearsing myself. The Hebrew does not have capital... Small right. big caps or small caps, so it's hard to tell, right? Mm-hmm. If okay, mm-hmm. that's interesting, that kind of de- defeated what I was about to say. Um, <laughs> so, so it could, it, you're saying that it could easily be a similar thing going on where this is a, a singular man mm-hmm. who happens to be ma- named man mm-hmm. as opposed to okay, and then as um,
1: to just being uh random general, name or that well this is just a um, mythical you know um literary device that that the author is using to make a point about mankind like yeah, yeah just because his name means something profound doesn't mean he's not historical yeah so one of the things
0: that that i have found like to me that that seems significant to ponder is the whole concept of help a uh, helper um Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Okay, that's not the passage about. Oh, helper up in eighteen. Okay. I will make him a helper fit for him.
1: What do you What do you think about the word helper?
0: Well, so I think this is actually in Val's class, and I go <laughs> hamburger <helper. laughs> what hamburger helper? Yeah. Well, he talked about lifesaver. Yeah. Um, being a so and then and then what we talked Val didn't talk about this, but we we delved into it more in um in my old testament module class, where it's the same word as I understand used of spirit, the spirit of God.
1: Absolutely. And, and I uh, go ahead. Yeah. So
0: I guess I'll just say my conclusion and then hear where I'm yeah. coming at, or kind of what our class was concluding, and then I come away pondering is that the the point of this is almost is not so much setting up whether the woman should be at home helping whatever dream or vision the the man has but that human kind for itself is like it is important for each of us to have have one each another. other have one another and community in in a life-saving sort of way to the to the same degree that Holy Spirit saves us and brings life-saving power into our being. And that, that this passage is, is deeply, um, deeply embedded in this passage is the need for community essentially. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, I, I I think it's definitely saying that more than um, laying out um, subordinate gender rules. I don't, I, I, I wish we could find a better translation of um, ezer, 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 um helper. Um, in English, it, it just doesn't quite get there. And, and if, if I'm not mistaken, the only other times, that might be too far, but I think the only other times this word is used, it is of God. And so yeah. God is my helper. Um, yeah. I think that might be the meaning of the name Ezra, um, huh. uh, Yahweh, Yahweh, is my helper. But, but it's a word that always <laughs> communicates something about. Not this was brought alongside um, to, you know, to be a helpful addition, um, like as Val says, hamburger helper. But this is yeah. a, um, like he says, this is this is a rescue. This is a. Um, Savior might be too strong, <laughs> mm. but but someone who without whom we are, um, in a sense, incomplete.
0: Yeah, because um, the the when it's used of God, it's often used when they're being, they're getting ready to go into battle or they're being attacked by people. Yeah, and I think that cry well, out to God yeah. as, our you are a helper?" Right. Yeah. And
1: here we are, two married guys talking about how <laughs> how much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's and so physical. it that's that's i guess my point what I'm trying to get at is if this is speaking specifically of woman mm-hmm. it it creates a struggle for single people right
1: yeah no, that's a good point yeah
0: if this is speaking of mankind and kind of inter uh what what's the like uh interconnected with each other hmm mm-hmm. Doesn't it open the, the doors for – like what if – basically what I'm asking is what if we've totally misunderstood community?
1: And yeah, I think that, so. But it seems to me like you could make that argument to take out the importance of gender. Um, to of – of two sexually different persons as the definition of marriage. Um, maybe I'm like <laughs> – yeah. You know, hackles going up. But, but it Well, seems I guess like, we
0: we still have to wrestle with Conegdo. That's true. Because that's, that's true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sorry.
0: Right. Keep, keep finishing
1: what you were saying. That's true. But, um, Ezer um, would be, I'm trying to think, I think it might be in construct. her coneggdo is a phrase. And I think I would tend to say it is, it is referring to, um, to the woman specifically. But I don't think that means that um, men need women as a rescuer and women don't need men. Um, In other words, there is that interdependence because it's a mutual um, need, sort of. Yeah. yeah. And then you need to go to Jesus and and Paul in the New Testament to... When you're, when you're in pastoral work with singles, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to talk about being a human without being married and living a full life. So. Yeah.
0: Thanks for listening. That was part one of our conversation. And next week, I will continue with part two where we go further into First Corinthians 11 and how to interpret Genesis. Again, if you enjoyed the episode consider leaving a review, leaving a rating if you're listening via iTunes. And also consider supporting us on patreon patreon.com forward Asher Whitmer. And also the music, the intro music, the outro music, all the music you hear on this podcast, unless I say otherwise, has been done by my friend Corey Steiner, which you can learn more about him, his work, his music at Coreysteinermusic.wordpress.com. Go check him out there. He's got an album at least one album out. I'm not sure if he's released more yet or not, but anyways, thanks for listening. Until next time, God bless.